0: This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to White Coat Black Art, the show about medicine from all sides of the gurney. Has your doctor ever prescribed a poem to you instead of a bottle of pills? When Irish novelist and short story writer Colin McCann asked doctors that question at a meeting I attended in Galway, Ireland recently, the room went quiet. But it's no joke. A pilot project in the U.S. has palliative care doctors prescribing poems to their patients to help them reflect on their illness and on their lives. On the flip side, have you ever thought of prescribing a book to your doctor? Far too often, people like me claim to be too busy reading journal articles and textbooks to read for pleasure. This week, as the holidays begin, we're changing that up by bringing you our first ever White Coat Black Art Book Club. To help us out, we brought together three of our favorite white coat black art guests from the past few seasons. Everybody should be able to say hi to everybody else. uh, So I have with me in in, uh, Toronto, Nahid Dasani. Hi guys.
1: Hi. Uh, Hi Nahid. Great to
0: meet you. Nahid is the lead palliative care physician for PEACH, the palliative education and care for the homeless, run by Inner City Health Associates. It provides mobile palliative care for some of Toronto's most disadvantaged residents.
2: Happy to be speaking with you.
0: You're, you're having a day?
2: A bit of a day, yeah. It's crazy busy. Right oh, you're now. just busy. Oh.
0: Julie Drury yeah. is currently a patient advocate and the strategic lead for the patient partnership at Canadian Foundation for Healthcare Improvement. We first met her on White Coat Black Art as part of our One More Thing Moms group.
1: Julie's in Ottawa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nadine, you're there? I'm here, Brian. How are you? Long time no speak. I know, it's been a long time. Doing doing well, but I can... Dr. Nadine
0: Caron is in our studio in Prince George, British Columbia. Nadine is a surgical oncologist with the UBC Northern Medical Program. She's also the co-director of the UBC Centre for Excellence in Indigenous Health. The premise of our book club is simple. We asked each of our guests to bring a book. No textbooks allowed. It had to be a book that touched each of our guests personally and says something about health care in Canada. Uh, and I'm just waiting for the go ahead. I guess we've got a good level. And um, okay, let's start by going around the table and getting each of you to tell us about your book. Uh, you know, not a full summary, just just you know maybe in less than a minute. Uh, you know, and why you chose it for white coat, for the white coat black art book club. Uh, Julie Drury in Ottawa. Let's uh, have you start us off.
2: Sure, thanks, Brian. So the book that I chose to to talk about um, is From the Ashes by Jesse Thistle. And I met Jesse at a conference this past summer at the Kane Medical Association where he was a panelist, as was I. And I was very struck by his presence. So soft, so unassuming, but something within him that was so gently fierce. And um, I learned that he wrote a book. And Jesse's book was one I couldn't put down. He talks about um, his life as a young Indigenous Métis child, he really didn't know his heritage or his culture. It was sort of stripped away from him as it has been with with many um, Indigenous persons in our country. He talks about his journey as a a child, as a young man and as a young adult in the space of of addiction and homelessness and um, losing his identity, his sense of personhood and his connection to the world essentially. And then like you know, And I'll characterize it this way in my own words, like a phoenix from the ashes. Jesse finds a way out and finds a path back to himself and, and to the world and to society. And it's absolutely inspirational.
0: Well, we could spend the whole hour just talking about uh, that, but uh, uh, Nahid, you you have a very, very different kind of book. So, uh, <laughs> tell us about your book.
3: Yeah, the book that I chose is called A Healthy Society by Ryan Miley. So, imagine this: you're standing at the side of a river, and a child comes, um, floating by down the river, and you jump into the river and you 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 save the child. You get back to the riverbank, and you see another child who's you know flailing in the river. You go and attempt to save that child as well. You get back to the riverbank and another child comes down and another child comes down and another one and eventually hopefully someone says hey we should go upstream <laughs> to see what's causing um, the situation and that's really what a healthy society is it's a view at the upstream factors that impact health and health care outcomes and in fact does a deep dive into what is actually causing us to be sick in Canada the social factors how we live learn work and play around income housing education, our justice system, and social assistance, uh, to name a few. You get to not only look at those issues, but you also get to meet his patients. Um, you get to meet Maxine, a young woman that uh, Dr. Miley cared for who's homeless, who deals with HIV, and then has has a situation happen in her life where she falls to a, a substance use disorder, and then actually has to deal with her end-of-life journey on the streets. And through her, the narratives, it's really an uplifting um, argument about how we might be able to make society healthier, not necessarily investing in our clients, Clinics and hospitals and doctors and nurses, which is, of course, an allied health, all that is really important, but actually the social factors that are making us sick coast to coast. So that's a, a healthy society.
0: Nadine Caron, we have not forgotten about you. Uh, <laughs> tell us about your book.
1: Sure. Uh, I chose the book, The Truth About Stories, First of all, I love the author, Thomas King. He's a renowned Indigenous author that's lived both in Canada and the US, and as an Indigenous uh, citizen of Canada, I just it, he resonates with me in multiple different ways. Absolutely the emotions. I read this book years ago, it was written in 2003, and I recall the spectrum of emotions from sadness, anger, frustration, surprise, to just downright humour and laugh out loud. I can't recall how many times I've actually bought this book for the pure purpose of given it away mm. uh, and mm. when I was thinking about a link to Medicine definitely this sticks out because there's a quote in this book that goes all the way through tied directly to its title that is the quote that I've used the most out of any book that I've ever read uh, the quote is the truth about stories is that that's all we are this book looks at the power of stories, their role, how we shape who we are, how we learn about others and ourselves, and how we sh- share them, and what we learn when we listen. And I think this is the foundation of the practice of medicine, my career as a researcher, uh, and personally. Mm-hmm.
0: Nadine, how does, it, how, does, uh, how does this book make you a better physician, better surgeon?
1: It is about the, the power of stories, and um, last week I had a medical student in my office, and they, they, I was telling them about this 52-year-old woman who had just noticed a lump in her left neck, uh, and I said, you know, what are you going to do when this lady comes into your office? Fast forward a few years, you're a family doctor, the lady comes into your office, this is the first appointment slot you had open, it's a week after she's noticed a lump in her neck, what are you going to do? And the medical student's so proud. I'm going to do an ultrasound. And you kind of go, well, you know, what else are you got to do maybe before then? Well, maybe I'll send them for some blood work. Well, what are you going to do before then? And ultimately, they get it. They're actually going to hear the story behind the lump. How was it found? When did they find it? Has it grown? Has it changed? Did they ever notice it before? Any family history? What's making them worried? What made them call? And it's interesting because why do they not say that Maybe it's because it's so intuitive, it's so easy, it's so natural that they think it must not be the right answer. Medical school is supposed to be hard, so it must be something different. But at the same time, it's one of the things that as a profession we get criticized about the most. Physicians don't listen.
0: Wow. Julie, uh, when somebody like Jesse gets to tell his story, and you've heard these stories told many, many times, when it's listened to, what impact does it have on that on the patient and their and their family?
2: You know the impact can be incredibly powerful, and it can be um, incredibly hurtful. It depends on how that story is received, how it's acted upon or not acted upon. It depends on the intent of the persons who want to hear that story. You know, I've shared um, different variations of our of our journey through the healthcare system. My daughter Kate and I, and sometimes it's been incredibly powerful to share her story, particularly the the six essays I wrote about the last days of her life and the journey towards her death. And I felt really empowered sharing that, and I felt that I was helping people to understand and illustrating what you know pediatric palliative care and end of life looked like, and it was important to share. I've been in other instances or situations, and I know other patients and families and caregivers have been as well, where you share the story and you feel that you've given a piece of your heart and your soul to your audience, and there's potentially a lack of respect or a lack of attentiveness to the story or that taking on that opportunity to to initiate some change based on the story. And that's really what patients and families and caregivers want. We want to share our story so that We can see change so that others might not go through what we went through or when you're illustrating a really positive story so that the learners in the room, and they are learners when you're sharing a story, can really understand this this went really well. This is really powerful. We can continue on with us.
0: Nahid, uh, you've been on our program before. You're a palliative care specialist who works with people who are disadvantaged, who are homeless. We, uh, Jeff Goods and I, participated in a healing circle. Observed a healing circle mm-hmm. that was astonishing. Mm-hmm. You hear these stories, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things was going through my training,
3: I always felt that there was such an emphasis and focus on evidence-based medicine. And and yes, evidence-based medicine is important and it's important to provide good clinical care. But I, I somehow feel that the pendulum has swung so far that we've forgotten as clinicians the art of the story. The art of the narrative, the ability to um, tell the story of the n of one, the sample size of one, and sometimes that story—a story like Jesse Thistle's, for example—can um, tell an incredible story. And in a Healthy Society, Ryan Miley's book, um, we hear about Maxine, we hear about Lisa. So you can actually be seeing things through the eyes of Dr. Miley himself, and and I think that has great power to inspire change. Um, and sometimes it's not the book that you read; it's when you read it. Um, mm. I read a Healthy Society. Society when I was doing my palliative care fellowship where when I was in training and really was struggling because I was clearly seeing a lack of access for palliative care for folks who were experiencing structural vulnerabilities in our communities I was rarely seeing folks who were homeless I was rarely seeing people who lived in poverty but I knew they lived in our city it's a, it's Toronto and um, when I read a healthy society I was starting to realize that the barriers to access to palliative care actually lied upstream which which inspired myself and in colleagues. To to do the work that we do now, founding the PEACH program, Palliative Education and Care for the Homeless, through inner city health associates, a mobile palliative care program for Toronto's homeless. If we're to ever get a place in our society where we're able to not just focus on treating illness, but treat the factors that cause illness to begin with, which are often social, then um, we have to take into account the narrative. We have to focus on stories. At the end of the day, it's what makes us human.
0: Hi guys, it's me, Ty Poole, and I'm back, and I have way more questions! Things like, what are animals saying to each other? Why is space so dark? What's the science behind bullying? This season, I'm willing to go where no 7th grader has ever gone before to find you the answers. Ty asks why. Rest your eyes and prepare your ears for all new episodes of Ty asks Why. You're listening to the first ever White Coat Black Art Book Club. Dr. Nahid Dosani, who we just heard, is a palliative care physician in Toronto, and he's with me here in the studio. Julie Drury is an Ottawa-based patient advocate in our Ottawa studio. And Dr. Nadine Caron is a surgical oncologist in Prince George. We're talking about books, but also about the power of stories to move the needle in health care. Something Dr. Nadine Caron is trying to do in her work as co-director of the UBC Centre for Excellence in Indigenous Health. Nadine, uh, there are statistics, as you've talked about, and there are stories What do you think is the most important currency for you when you're trying to persuade people to change their lifestyles or trying to advocate for a community?
1: I think you need both. If you have an amazing research project and you've come up with the final data and analysis and conclusions, if you don't have a story to put to that data, the media is not going to cover it. They want to see who does this impact? What face can you put to this? And it it makes sense. And, And so when I'm trying to persuade, whether it's a government or a health authority or a committee or a board member or board, I tell a story. And then people can't walk away. You can't walk out of a room where mm. you're in the middle of a story uh, when the other people in the room are crying. You have to sit there in this uncomfortable space and realize that this is happening in your hospital. This is happening in your province. This is happening in our country. You can't walk away from a story. But you can brush over data and just say, oh, I didn't do statistics in university or high school. I don't really understand this. But you can't close your eyes and your ears and your heart to a story. Julie, what do you think?
2: Yeah, no, and as I'm listening to this, we, one one thing that comes to mind for me and, and I think we need to be mindful of is creating those safe spaces for stories to be told. You know, right now uh, we have a third leading cause of death in Canada is patient safety. For example, in our country, um, Patients for Patient Safety Canada is encouraging something called conquer silence, meaning that they're asking physicians, nurses, healthcare providers and patients and families and caregivers to speak up about the care they're receiving, potential errors in care or harm in care. That is an extremely... Difficult and challenging thing to do for patients, families, and caregivers. And so we're ta- as we're talking about story, we're talking a lot about power. We're talking a lot about privilege. We're talking a lot about the creation of safe spaces to to share story. And I would agree with some of the comments that you know stories are what drive change and what sort of offer framing around the data and the statistics and all the numbers and the ones and the zeros. The stories are absolutely necessary, and they're often canaries in the coal mine. The stories are showing you tip of the iceberg of what's happening in the system. The stories are driving us to share, have new perspectives in what we're going to follow in, in the space of practice, policy, and research. But we have to create opportunity for story to be told, and we need to create safe space. And, you know, to my mind, that doesn't exist right now. There's so many patient stories that are being told where, unfortunately, there are repercussions for those patients and the families mm, in the system, yeah. or they're not being heard.
0: To Julie's point I'm going to add that I think we need to create safe space for one more individual, one more kind of individual, and that is the healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. And uh, I happen to have read a book. Uh, the book I read is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, where she talks about the role of shame in corporate culture and armored leadership, the, the people who who lead with their fears, lead with their, their shame, and because they have unresolved shame. And as I read it, I couldn't help but notice the similarities between what she was talking about and shame in healthcare. And so you have... Rising rates of burnout and depression among healthcare providers. Who I think, uh, I think we can make the argument that some of them have unresolved shame uh, over their fallibility, the mistakes that they make, the faux pas that they make, uh, not being present in the moment with with their patients, and they need a safe space to talk about feeling vulnerable. And it's very very difficult to be vulnerable. In, in a healthcare environment, to talk about uh, your fears or to talk about the mistake you might have made. And, and it's hard to tell those stories because of this fear that it, you're soon going to be the only one talking about your own mistakes.
2: And I would say, Brian it's Julie, again, that we've, we've developed some constructs and some silos and some artificial structures within our healthcare system that don't allow those stories to be told, right? We have an over-reliance on risk management sometimes in some of our healthcare organizations or healthcare spaces, and I think part of that is is the design of our system and what we're prioritizing and where we place importance and, again, power in the system, to your point.
0: We've covered a lot of themes across four different books. Uh, I'm going to go around the table. Why are these themes important now? Nahid Nahid Dosani.
3: Because uh, we've kind of dealt with the first healthcare revolution, which was uh, dealing with infectious disease and antibiotics. Um, the second was noncommunicable diseases and managing those. And the third, uh, that you know, I firmly believe is the next revolution of health and healthcare is managing the social factors and, and, and mitigating factors that make us sick downstream by going up upstream to make a healthy
0: society. Dr. Nadine Caron in uh, Prince George.
1: I think stories, uh, they don't have any timeline. They've been around since time immemorial. Uh, I think this book that goes into the truth about stories and the power of stories and the necessity of them. I use stories a lot when I'm doing presentations, whether it's to a group of medical students in like a dozen students or at a national or international conference. The first question I ask myself is what story should I tell? And part of it is sometimes at conferences, I don't even know. I have an idea of what story, but it depends on how the audience is. Are they laughing? Are they engaged? Are they listening? Do I hear them crying? Do Mm -hmm. I meet the eyes of some of the people in the back of the room? And then I decide, what story am I going to have the courage to tell? What story am I just not up to sharing? And I think it's, it's so important to recognize that stories are not... A static thing. Uh, They they change uh, with all of those parameters. But in the end, they need to be carried forward. Because hopefully, we learn from them, and we grow from them. And I think that it applies to medicine. But more importantly, it just applies to society today.
0: Julie Drury in Ottawa, last word goes to you.
2: You know, From the Ashes inspired me from the point of view of, again, the power of story. People go through incredible journeys. They're so individual, but there are so many characteristics that are also incredibly similar where we see where society, where health care or the structures that we create in our healthcare systems are not effective, where they're not supporting um, the public, where they're not supporting patients, families and caregivers. And, and we know what those gaps are. I find it quite interesting that we see these gaps and these challenges on a day to day basis. We tend to look at it and say, well, it's either too difficult, it's too expensive, we don't want to spend money to save money. And so we don't look at things such as, you know, the the upstream determinants of health. We don't look at things like our white privilege or our settler privilege and looking at diversity and equity across the healthcare system. And so I think this fearlessness in raising stories is helping us not to be able to turn away and to really have to look at this quite closely. And stories like Jesse's are incredibly powerful in that space. I think the other thing is the the climb from the ashes, which is absolutely inspirational. You know, no matter the the healthcare journey for a patient or for you know that the family that's gone through that, there's there is potentially light at the end of the tunnel. No matter the tragedy, there's potential to turn that into something incredibly powerful. And I think Jesse's done that with his journey.
0: All three of you have given us lots to think about, lots of stories and uh, some books to read.
1: Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks so much, Brian. Thank and you, Brian, man. if this can be slotted in, can you tell us what your final words are on Dare to Lead?
0: Mm. Um, the fi- my final words are in the words, if I can, if I can uh, paraphrase what Brene Brown has said, uh, her message is to be vulnerable. To risk being vulnerable is, is to establish a connection with anyone. And uh, that's what I swear by, that's what I live by, that's what I practice medicine by these days.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, can I share with you guys a story? So when I was in medical school, my mentor's name was Reshenda and she was not a physician. I don't think she was a healthcare provider of any type, but she was an incredible mentor. And um, I remember going to her mentorship in the first couple of years of surgery residency. And then things got busy, life happened, and I dropped off and I didn't attend for about a year. And then I got a a phone call from her family and they said that Vershenda wanted to see me. So she didn't live that far, so I hopped on my bike. I rode my bike over, which was halfway between my house and Vancouver General Hospital, and I went in, and I found her in, her family walked me into her living room, and she was in a hospital bed in the living room, pal, uh, mm-hmm. palliative from advanced cancer, mm-hmm. and um, her family left me there to talk to her, and she didn't have a lot of strength. I think, Nahid, you might um, understand sort of the scenario that I was in, mm-hmm. and uh, Her words to me were, and I remember them so clearly. She just said, Nadine, you were always inquisitive and always curious and you always wanted to know things. Um, So this is my last, this is my last lesson for you. You can't cure everyone. Hmm. Accept it. Physicians are human. You'll make mistakes. You will try and you will fail more times than you succeed. Accept it. And just work as hard as you can with what you're trying to do, but don't do it alone. The person that you need to take with you more than anybody is the patient that wants the game to get to the same destination. Hmm. She died the next morning.
0: Wow. Wow. I'm so glad you shared that. Because until you had, you know, I had a I had a medical student uh, shadow me, uh, two two different medical students, two evenings in a row, and I was I was on my game the first evening, and I was not on my game the second evening, and I missed a lumbar puncture, which you know she was there beside me, and I went through all the prep, and I didn't get it, and uh, until you just spoke, I was feeling ashamed about it, and then I realized it was so much better that she saw me fail.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But it's but it's conversations like this that allow there to
3: even be a community like like this kind of community for health providers is so rare where you can even shed the layers of whatever you need to do to get through a day um, and and just shed those parts that are vulnerable um, and there are more and more book clubs there are more people who are sharing their stories if that's what the power of all this is really about if it brings people together to have conversations like this well I think it's a really good day.
2: I just love what you shared, Nadine, and thank you for that, because I could hear the emotion in your voice. And that transparency and that honesty and that openness, that's what patients are craving. And, you know, we're not judging our doctors at every single turn. We know they're human. I mean, you know, I've been very privileged to have developed extremely close relationships to the physicians that cared for my daughter over the course of her life. And we were a team and we were open and transparent. But it took time to build that relationship and we need to build that time into. Into the the ability for, for physicians to both, you know, be, um, be more compassionate, have the time to be compassionate. Compassion just doesn't happen like in a five-minute mm-hmm. meeting. And I think that, again, it comes to how we structure our system, that it really it's really limiting for patients, but it's, it's limiting for doctors too.
0: We could go on forever, yeah, but uh, you. but, you, but uh, really, it, this is this a, a great conversation. Uh, it was transcendent. It was wonderful. It was so great to connect with you guys. I can't wait to meet you both in person.
1: Yes, I was just thinking the same thing. I hope there's an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I feel so close to you after this. <laughs> I amazing. know.
1: It's
2: crazy. <laughs> yeah.
0: Thank you all.
1: Thanks, Brian. Thank, thank you. Thanks, thank you, Nadine. Dean. Thanks, Naheed.
0: Thanks,
3: guys. Thanks,
1: Julie. Yes. Thanks, Naheed. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: We started our discussion as colleagues. We left as friends. A life lesson for patients and healthcare providers alike. If you want to be heard, try telling a story. Thanks to Dr. Naheed Dosani, a palliative care physician in Toronto, Julie Drury, a patient advocate in Ottawa, and Dr. Nadine Caron, a surgical oncologist in Prince George. That's our show for this week. You can find all the books discussed at the White Coat Black Art Book Club on our website, cbc.ca/slash whitecoat. You can also find a bonus web feature on the Osler Emergency Department Book Club and how that's helped people at that Brampton Ontario Hospital deliver better health care. Write to us on our website or email us at whitecoatcbc.ca. I'm on Twitter at NightshiftMD and the show is at CBC cbcwhitecoat. We're also on Facebook. If you've missed any of our program, you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can download the CBC Listen app. And if you're looking for the latest in health news and analysis, subscribe to Second Opinion, the weekly newsletter from CBC's health unit at subscriptions.cbc.ca. This week's show was produced by Jeff Goods with help from Sujata Berry, digital producer Ruby Buiza, and the rest of our digital team. Our senior producer is Donna Dingwall. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman, Happy holiday and happy reading. See you next week. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.